we're going to be in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out uh, for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a great passage. Man, Josh, you did a great job reading that. I feel like we could just go home now. That was, that was really good. Um, 1 Peter 2.9 says, We as the people of God exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and seeing him receive all of the worship and praise, and all the glory that he so rightly deserves. Um, Today we're looking at this amazing passage of Scripture, and um, it's an amazing passage of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that, but we're also going to see that it's about our response as a community to him and to one another. And uh, this call to unity that we're talking about as we're going through this is particularly powerful for our denomination in this historical moment. Um, as most of you know, Reliance Fellowship is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC. And as many as, of you are probably also aware, the SBC has had some significant challenges to deal with recently um, that make unity seem a little more difficult than normal. Um, Jacob asked me to address these issues briefly, and um, before we dive into our scripture passage at length, um, I'd like to just briefly comment on what's going on with the SBC and, um, and our, our response to that. Um, the denomination, like I said, is dealing with, some, with quite a few issues. Um, this week happens to be the annual convention, so they do this every year, it's an annual convention, and um, they bring in delegates from churches all across America, and they, um, among other things, vote on a new president. Um, they have four candidates, and one of them happens to be the head of the Northwest Baptist Convention here, um, lives over in Vancouver, and um, Randy Adams is a great guy, and I think we're all rooting for him, um, but he's one of the candidates um, but whoever becomes the next president is going to have some stuff to deal with. 
Um, the SBC had a major sexual abuse scandal back in 2019, and they're still working through that. Um, there have been various accusations outside of that of harassment and racism against some of the leaders. And recently, a couple high-profile individuals left the convention, and one of those was Russell Moore, who was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC. Um, and he left and has become kind of a vocal critic of um, some of what's been going on with the SBC. So there's lots of other issues, too, <laughs> as if that wasn't enough. Um, there are other things that they're dealing with as well. But let me speak to you um, from the perspective of Jacob and, and myself. Um, we want to let you know that sin should not be tolerated in the body of Christ. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Probably that should just go without saying, but I think it's, it's worth explaining that. So the gospel is good news, right? Can I get an amen? The gospel is good news, okay? Um, the gospel is good news, and it's the news that no matter what sin is in your life, you can be redeemed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're a sexual predator or a racist or a liar or a thief or a drug dealer or a murderer or whatever, right? Whatever your background of sin is, the blood of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to bring you to redemption, to, to a restored relationship with God himself when we come by faith and repentance, right? Like, that's, that's the good news of the gospel, is that it is sufficient for anyone. But the, the gospel doesn't just leave you there, right? As you mature in your faith in Christ, the gospel changes you, which is why Paul makes statements like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, right? And he lists a bunch of sins and, and says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. So there's a, a change that happens, um, 1 Corinthians 5, he, he talks about removing the wicked man from among ourselves, right? So as we think about this, the gospel is open to every sinner on planet earth. It is good news for everyone. But church leadership is not open to every sinner on planet earth. Is that fair? Um, if a person is living in unrepentant sin, they have no business being on church leadership. And so our hope and our prayer is that if there is sin among some of the leaders in the SBC, that God would expose that sin, right? And that that would be dealt with and that God would purify the leadership in this denomination. Um, I, I don't know how many of the accusations are true, right? I'm, I'm not privy to each of those individual discussions in various churches and in different settings. Um, but I would assume that some of those accusations might be true. And so I think we should pray. Pray for the SBC, that, that God would deal with these things, that he would protect his people um, in this situation. Um, and then one other comment that I'd, I'd say is, let's not speak out against all SBC churches and all SBC people over the sinful actions of a few. Um, for every terrible story that we hear about in the news, um, there are lots of other great things going on among SBC people. So, for instance, right, if Jacob Morris is an amazing dad and a great husband, it's never going to make the news. You're never going to hear about it, right? That doesn't sell whatever ads, right? Nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, God cares. God cares, and it's a wonderful thing, right? But it's not going to make the news, right? If that hits the news, everybody's like, okay, why are you telling me, right? Right? 
So what makes the news is all the bad news, right? That's the stuff that comes out. And so um, don't assume that everything is bad in the SBC church if there are a few leaders who are, are doing bad things. Um, so as, as we respond to this and we think about this stuff, don't go on social media and lash out at the SBC, right? That's, that's not going to be helpful. Um, besides the fact that a lot of stuff on social media is just gossip and slander anyway, right? Uh, we shouldn't fall into that trap, right? That there are problems that are hopefully going to be dealt with, but um, let's, let's not assume the worst. Um, I think instead we should be praying for them, right? Uh, this week, um, there, there are going to be 16,000 delegates or more at this SBC meeting in Nashville. Um, included among those are our own Brandon and Lisa Gregory. They're, they're out there right now. And so let's pray for them. They're, they're, they're going to be voting on some big issues. They're going to be voting on who the next president is and, and working through all that. So let's, let's pray for them. Um, we want to see the name of Christ lifted high. And that's what the SBC is all about, right? It's an it's a organization of independent autonomous churches that are all related together on this mission to see the gospel go forth to all nations and all peoples. And so let's just pray that that, that happens and that mission continues to go forth. So before we dive into Philippians, um, could you guys join me in prayer? Why don't we pray for a minute here for the SBC and for this big meeting this week? Um, Father, we just come before you, Lord, and um, ask on behalf of this association of churches, the SBC, Lord, that you would do great things in our midst. Um, Lord, we know that you have already done great things in and through the SBC, Lord, but we also know that there are some significant issues. And so, Father, we pray that um, you would bring purity to our leadership. Lord, we pray that where there is sin, it would be exposed. And that, Lord, you might um, continue to strengthen and refine this organization, Lord. Um, I pray for the, all those 16,000-plus people that are there. Um, Lord, give them wisdom. Um, help them to, to vote wisely and, and in a godly fashion on, on each of these things that are going to be presented to them. Um, Lord, I pray for good fellowship in the midst of that um, assembly of people. Um, and I pray that, Lord, your name would be lifted up, that you would be honored, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would continue to go forth, and that there would be unity. And Father, we love you, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for bearing with that. I felt like it was appropriate. Jacob felt like it was appropriate for us to talk about those things. Okay, so we're in Philippians 2 today, and my premise today is simple. Unity is impossible without humility. Unity is impossible without humility. And since unity is absolutely essential for the church of Jesus Christ, then we have to have humility. We must have humility. So um, let's dive into this. So the first thing is we're going to see that unity is non-negotiable. This is not like an option that we can think about pursuing or or maybe not. Unity is is non-negotiable for us. So um, follow along. I'm in Philippians 1.27. I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, 
which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, intent on one spirit, or, I'm sorry, united in one spirit, intent on one purpose. So as as we consider this, um, let, let me show you how Paul is developing this idea, right? So the, the premise is that unity is non-negotiable, that we have to have unity. And what he does is he begins by talking about our common identity in Christ. Okay, so he's reminding them that we are all in this together. It's kind of like the wedding vows, right? You're, you're in this for in sickness or in health, right? When, when things are going badly or when things are great, either way, we're in this together. And so he talks through both of those scenarios. He talks through first, like in verse 29 and 30 here, that we are going to face opposition. Um, He says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's one of those promises of God that never makes it to, like, the coffee mug. I've never seen a T-shirt or a coffee mug that says, it has been guaranteed that you will suffer for Christ. <laughs> that, just, that is just not a promise that you see showing up. But what he says is true, right? This is a promise that Jesus had told them, right? That in the world you will be hated, right? There, there will be opposition to the gospel and to those who represent the gospel, to believers in Jesus Christ. There will be opposition And that is the common experience of Christians throughout the centuries and and in various settings. And here in America, we have it pretty easy. For the most part, we don't have um, any kind of large-scale persecution. But there is opposition to those, um, as 2 Timothy 3.12 says, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, is what it says. So there, there will be opposition to the gospel. And all Paul's saying here is, is, you guys have experienced that, right? He's speaking to these folks in Philippi who had experienced persecution, and he's saying this is the, the common experience among believers. You guys are united in this. But then he goes on also to say, but you also have some good things that you're united in. So chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. He's pointing to all the things that are sources of joy for us in Christ. Right? We are encouraged by being in Christ. We ought to be. If we have faith in Christ, that ought to be a source of encouragement to us. Um, we've experienced how comforting the love of one another and the love of our Lord are to us. We've experienced common fellowship in the Spirit. And so he's saying, whether you're going through the hard times or you're going through the good times, we're all in this together. We have this common experience and this common identity. And then he gives kind of an if-then statement. If that is true, then we ought to live like that, right? So he says, if these things are true or since these things are true, maybe would be a better way of saying it, Then in verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, 
united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So rather than doing what would be so easy for us to do, rather than acting like we're all individuals with completely different goals and perspectives and and interests and a different purpose in life and all of that, Paul encourages them to live in unity on these things. So if all of this stuff about our common identity and our common unity in Christ is true, then we ought to live united around these things. Um, It ought to create a unity of purpose. Um, It should shape our thinking, our affections, our goal, right? We should have a common unity in those things. And Paul says there, back in verse 27, that when we do those things, when we live in unity, common mission, that we are living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that is a huge statement. When we live in unity on mission, we are living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so the opposite's true as well. When we are not acting in unity, when we are not united around these things, we are not acting in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And think about the, the logic here, right? Jesus has called us out, united us as a new people, right? We are we're one new people created to proclaim his excellencies, to spread the gospel, to make disciples in unity with each other, common experience and a love for one another. And when we don't do those things, it's like we haven't really understood the gospel, right? We haven't understood what we were called out of and called into. And so he's saying, if you don't live this way, you're not living in a manner worthy of the great news that you've been given. And so it ought to change us. Unity is essential for us, right? We, we ought to have that as our experience. It's a major part of what it means to follow Christ. Faith isn't just like a private thing that like, I can do by myself alone in the woods somewhere. Faith is something that unites us together with a community of believers. And so that should be something that we, as a, as a group, experience. What Paul's saying here is very similar to what he says over in Ephesians 4. And let me just read that for you. It's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And I want you to just see how he says the same thing in different places and, and how he develops it over here. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so because there's one God and this one faith that we are experiencing together, because we have this unity, right, we ought to be diligent to preserve that unity. We ought to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's all. That's, that's not hard, right? That's, so, so the problem is, it's difficult to do this, right? This, this all sounds great in theory, but it's really tough in practice, right? It's, it's, it's difficult because in some measure we're all kind of selfish. And so Paul recognizes that and deals with that in the next couple verses here. 
So Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, listen to what he says. Man, these, th- this is one of those passages that if you could just apply this two verses, these two verses in your life, pretty, you're pretty sad. I mean, that, that, would be, that would be a really good life if you could just get down these two verses. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Sounds pretty basic, right? So a couple things that we are to avoid, he gives us first. Um, Selfishness, right? Which is basically placing my needs above anyone else's. Um, Basically saying that that I am somehow more important than you, maybe. Um, That that I am more interested in what's happening for me and my sake than, than for anyone else. And then he says we should also avoid empty conceit. Uh, the word, the, the original Greek, if you go back and look at it, is, is empty glory. Um, through the years, um, I, really when I was younger, I knew a couple guys, one, one guy in high school and then another guy in college, who just kind of sort of exemplified this empty glory thing. Right? So they were, they were really into like puffing themselves up right? and telling everyone how cool they were. Um, the, the guy in college um, earned himself the nickname Fiction because he was constantly telling us of the amazing things he had done by the time he was age 19. You know, he, he had been a Navy SEAL, and he owned a Hummer and a house, and he had done all these things, and um, there was no evidence in his life of these things, mind you. But, um, so all, all, the peop- all the guys around started calling him fiction. But, but the idea being there that there is an empty glory, right? Trying to puff ourselves up, look how great I am. But everybody can kind of see, like, eh, you're all right, Adam, but, you know, it's, it's not that great, right? Empty glory. The contrast here, the really amazing contrast, is what comes immediately after this when he talks about Jesus, right? And Jesus emptied himself. And, and theology nerds get all caught up in what that emptying means, right? Um, the, the term in theology is the kenosis. If you say kenosis, you sound really smart. Um, kenosis, which, which comes from the Greek meaning empty, right? So Jesus emptied himself. What does that mean that Jesus emptied himself? Well, there's, there's a play on words here, right? There's a comparison. So instead of being like people who puff themselves up with empty glory, right? Nobody's impressed, but, but they experience this empty glory. Jesus, who actually had glory, Jesus who was worthy and deserving of this glory, empties himself, right? He doesn't empty himself of his attributes. He's still God, right? He's still able to walk on water if he wants to or perform miracles or heal someone or forgive them, right? Jesus is still fully God, and yet he gives up his glory. He comes down to earth, and he lives like one of us, and he deals with all kinds of junk, right? So that contrast there, so instead of having selfishness or empty glory, we ought to be like Jesus, right? We ought to have a humility of mind. And humility is really just an essential quality of the Christian life. This is not, again, not something that's optional. This, this shouldn't be like, oh, you know, if you're doing really great, maybe you could tack on some humility. Now, this is pretty foundational to what it means 
to live the Christian life, but man, this is a term that is super misunderstood. Right? If somebody were to claim that they were humble, you would immediately say, well, you're not being humble because you claimed that you're humble. That's nonsense. That doesn't even make sense. Okay, so let, let me explain why. So the wrong way to think of humility is this. Um, pride and humility are opposites, right? So pride is thinking too highly of yourself, and so therefore humility must mean thinking really lowly of yourself, Right? That, that's the wrong way to think about humility. Um, among other things, that would mean that we all kind of walk around like Eeyore. I'm not very good at anything. You know, like that's not what is being recommended here. Um, pride, here's the correct way to think about it. Pride is an obsession with yourself. And so humility focuses your attention on the needs of others. Okay, so rather than being obsessed with yourself, either, you know, like Eeyore, I don't feel good about myself, everybody should be looking at me, you know, Um, or I'm so amazing, everybody should be looking at me. Either way, right, it's an obsession with yourself. Humility is really defined here in relational terms, in terms of looking to the needs of others. It's it's not about me, right? I, I should be considering the needs of others, And so it's really having a right view of yourself so that you have an outward focus on others. Um, I think my wife said it best a couple weeks ago. Kim said, humility is stinking hard. (laughs) And I think she's right. Um, Because it means giving up my desires to focus on your needs. right? And that's not easy all the time. The inward attitude of humility produces the outward actions of love. Humility and love are are very similar, basically the same thing. Um, Humility is the inward attitude. Love is the outward action. It's the outward living out of that. And Jesus Christ is our perfect example for both of these. So so look with me at this amazing section of Scripture here, verse 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude he's talking about is the attitude we just heard about, right? To have humility of mind and to look out for the interests of others, right? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, Jesus is our perfect example of humility. And as proof that humility doesn't mean being like Eeyore and thinking less of yourself and I'm no good, right? as proof... Jesus, who is our perfect example of humility, went around telling people that he was God. Okay, so it does not mean having a low opinion of yourself, whatever else it means. It does not mean 
you have a very low opinion of yourself. Clearly, Jesus did not have a low opinion of himself. Is that, is that fair? Right? Jesus understood clearly who he is. He is God. And yet, he was humble in his approach to those around him. He was humble in the fact that he was willing to serve their needs, even if it meant giving up his reputation, his privileges, all the glory of heaven. Right? He was willing to serve the needs of others. And so he's our perfect example of humility. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? That, that's what we sang about this morning. He took on for us the weight that we should have carried so that we wouldn't have to. Um, and then Paul really kind of gives more or less a cost-benefit analysis. Right? Why did Jesus do this? Was it worth it? And he shows that among other things, God, is, God the Father exalted Jesus Christ and gave him the name that is above every other name for, for many reasons, but among those reasons, that Jesus did this incredible thing. Jesus exemplified humility and love so perfectly that all of history will always look to him in amazement and, and give glory and honor to his name. Um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave up everything so that we might be exalted with him. So here's the thing. There's not really a plan B. Right? There's not an alternate approach to humility. It's not like... Jesus chose this route with the humility thing, and that worked for him, but maybe for us we could find a different route, something a little simpler that's not quite so hard. Now, this is a, a common theme in Scripture, that this is how it works. So Proverbs 15.33 says, Before honor comes humility. Before honor comes humility. So you want to make something great of yourself, you, want to, you have ambitions to make a difference, um, this is how we go about doing this. Um, we humble ourselves. Mark 9.35, Jesus said, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So humility, this is, this is a just kind of foundational thing for what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to, to live out our faith. We have to have humility. Let me pause for a second here and interject something. Um, because maybe you're thinking, this sounds a lot like letting people walk all over me. And that sounds like a bad idea. Um, and if I consider others as more important than myself all the time, wouldn't that create some problems? And how do I deal with that? And I think the answer is found in what Paul said back in verse 2. Right? His initial thing about being of the same mind. And he tells us there that we're to be intent on one purpose. And he explains later in this letter that that one purpose is living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So the, the same mind that we're living by is this one purpose of living for Jesus Christ. And so that language of being of the same mind sounds impossible at first, right? So how am I going to agree on everything 
with every single person in this church. That sounds ridiculous. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. We can't even agree on paint color or whatever, right? So how are we going to agree on everything, right? Style of music. We're not all going to agree on style of music or, you know, what kind of vehicle we should own or whatever, right? All those types of different personal preferences. How can we be of the same mind, right? Surely that, that can't work. Well, and I think that's true. Right, if, if that was what this meant. But Paul explains that we are to be intent on one purpose. And he tells us that that purpose is living for Jesus Christ. And so, really, the expectation is not unity on everything, because that's impossible. The expectation is unity on the one essential thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should unite us. It should be what we focus and center on. So Paul's not telling us to, to just give up and just go with the flow and kind of like the postmodern approach, you know, and we'll just compromise the truth and compromise our morals and whatever, right? That's not what Paul's saying at all. What he's saying, almost the opposite of that, is let's be united on the thing that matters most, okay? So we're going to um, give up our privileges for sake of unity around the gospel. If we're going to do that, it requires humility, So that's what he's getting at, is we are united on this thing that matters most. So Jesus is our perfect model of humility, and Jesus is also our reason for pursuing humility. Why would I want to be humble? Why would I want to do that? Well, it's so that my own selfish desires don't get in the way of bringing glory and honor to him, right? And he is worthy of it. And so it's, it's giving up my desires, my personal preferences, so that we can work together for the gospel. Um, Now, maybe all that seems a little bit abstract. Is that fair? Seems a little bit abstract, maybe a little pie in the sky. And so what Paul does is he goes on in the rest of chapter 2 and gives three more examples of humility. Um, And what I want to do is just kind of look at these examples, because these are are real-life guys that that are living this out. And he's going to describe for us what that looks like. Um, the first one that Paul's going to mention is himself. Okay? Which, again, like if, if you're defining humility as something that's not ever attainable because if you said you had humility, you've lost it, well, then this doesn't make sense. But listen to what Paul says in verse 17. Because he also ex- is exemplifying this idea of humility. Verse 17, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In the Old Testament, in the temple, a drink offering was a free will offering to express gratitude to God. And what Paul is saying here is if my life is being poured out like a drink offering in order to benefit the church in Philippi, praise God, that's awesome. If my life is emptied out and I have nothing left and it's all been spent for you, that's awesome, right? So he's really exemplifying the same kind of thing that Jesus had done. Right? He's willing to give his life completely for that. Um, another example, very next verse and following, is Timothy. You guys have heard Timothy's name a lot through the New Testament. He's, he's involved with Paul in a lot of ministry. Listen to how Paul describes Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, 
so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. So Paul is traveling around with Timothy and realizing, like, he's got no one else who would really be invested in the well-being of this church in Philippi the way Timothy is. Right? Timothy is his partner in ministry and loves these people and is living out this humility in an amazing way. Um, verse 21, Paul talks about those who seek after their own interests. In contrast, verse 22, he talks about Timothy who served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Why was Timothy willing to give up his own interests and not live for his own ambitions and desires in life? Because he was pursuing the furtherance of the gospel. That's what mattered. Right? And so he was willing to dive into that. Um, another example is this guy Epaphroditus. There's another name. Why, why don't we hear these names? Why, do, why does no one name their child Epaphroditus? I don't know. Um, Epaphroditus was actually from Philippi, and Paul was sending him back um, to, to encourage them. And listen to what he says in verse 25 and following. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice." and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Epaphroditus most likely was the one who carried some of the financial gifts that the folks in Philippi had for, for Paul. Epaphroditus was the one that took those, Right? That was his service that, that was, um, when it says, uh, to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Most likely that's what it's talking about, is Epaphroditus was the one to carry it the rest of the way. And in the midst of that travel, or somewhere along the way, he got sick, almost to the point of death, because of his service for Christ. And Paul's saying, hold men like this in high regard. Right? This guy deserves honor. He should be really like viewed highly in your midst because of how he humbled himself and served in this amazing way. Um, so these men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, they served day in and day out to see the gospel go forth, to see Christ exalted among the children of God. And um, they were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Right? They lived that out. That kind of unity is impossible without humility. And what I want to say is, I see examples of this all the time. Jacob would say this as well. We see examples of this all the time among our people here at Reliance, of how you guys 
live out humility in really practical ways, right? considering the needs of others before yourself. Everybody who serves in children's ministry is probably acting out of humility <laughs> and a willingness to serve. Right? Most folks would rather sit over here and, and be you know, comfortable and <laughs> not have to do anything. Um, but we have people every week who are serving faithfully in kids' ministry. And we're grateful for that. Um, we have people that show up here on a Saturday morning to, to do construction every once in a while and, or, or whatever work needs done. And they're doing it because they're willing to give up their time and to serve. And that could be multiplied out in a million different ways, right? People that make meals for each other, people that care for one another and pray for each other and, and all number of things, right? Fill in the blank with whatever creative idea you can think of. Somebody's probably doing that. And so we see this humility being lived out in really practical ways, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, we, as the people of God, exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about seeing his glory made known in all places among all peoples. Um, we, as the people of God, should be united in striving to that end. And that means humbling ourselves, um, not being selfish, not letting our selfish egos get in the way of things, of what matters most. Now, Paul gives some really helpful advice here um, in verses 14 through 16. He speaks to the Philippians, these folks from this church, and tells them some really practical things of how to live this out. Verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling, murmuring, complaining. Right? Imagine doing all things without grumbling and disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul wants to be able, to, at the end of his life, to look back and say, it was worth it. It was worth all the work. It was worth all the labor. I'm so glad I did this because I can look at this church in Philippi and say, man, that's a beautiful thing. That is an awesome, wonderful thing. And so Paul's saying, I want you guys to live this out so that I can look back on life and, and know that it was worth it. And so, brothers and sisters, hold fast the word of life. That's Paul's admonition here. Hold fast the word of life and let your light so shine before the world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Um, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Um, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity to gather together around your word and to consider these things, Lord. And what a beautiful passage of Scripture this is as we reflect on Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, you have, besides granting us salvation, which would have been enough, Lord, you, you've also granted us a, a single-minded mission that we can be um, rallied around together of seeing the name of Christ lifted on high. And Lord, you've also given us this amazing example through Jesus Christ of what it looks like to humble ourselves. 
And so, Father, I pray that our church would be blameless and innocent, that we would be children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom, Lord, I pray that we may appear as lights in the world. And Father, I pray that each, every one of us would be known for our humility. Lord, help us not to think too highly of ourselves. Help us to have a right view of ourselves and to consider others as more important than ourselves. And Father, I pray also, Lord, that um, we would be united in our love for Christ and in our love for one another and that we would be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, we just pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Would you guys join us and stand in worship?